Hey all, and welcome back to There's Danger Here. I'm Leilani. And I'm Sam. And we're here for another episode. Uh, so this is one that has to do with the death penalty. So the sentencing of death and the execution of convicted criminals has long since been a hotly debated topic. Currently, 27 states have the death penalty. However, three of those states have a moratorium on death, including ours, which means that while it can still be sentenced, it will not be carried out with the current governors in office. I'm sorry in advance. I'm getting over being sick, and so my voice might sound a little different than normal. Sounds very radio to me. <laughs> Rico Suave. Classic 90s radio. Yes. Um, so, Sam, you already know this, but most people don't. I am for the death penalty. I think that if there is no reasonable doubt and it is 100% certain that a person has committed certain types of murders, that they should no longer be uh, among the living. I also think that um, being behind the scenes and seeing things and seeing how kind of push some prisons can be and how much we're paying for each prisoner um, just to sit away and do nothing. Um, I've always just been a proponent for the death penalty. Yeah, I haven't always been, but I have more recently been totally for it just due to the bull, like the bull crap that people are doing, like the a school shooting. Yes. You should yeah. get, get rid of that. hundred percent. hundred percent. There's no rehabbing that. We don't need them. Uh, we don't need more people thinking that they should do that. Yeah. Death penalty it is. Yeah. All right. Um, so this case is a death row case out of Texas. Much of this story is from a podcast. Uh, originally, it was written by Matt Duff, who um, is a PI. The podcast is called Cousins by Blood. It's also, um, I have some articles that were contributed from the Marshall Project, as well as some news articles that kind of cover this story. Uh, normally, I wouldn't have listened to the podcast before putting this together. But like I said, it was a PI. And he did amazing work, um, more work than I think this guy's own defense team did. Um, and so I think it's important to highlight some of the things he put in. Obviously, I'm not going to put them all in because I'm not going to, you know, give you word for word what another podcast is. And he did, I think it's three seasons um, in total that he did covering years of trying to find out if this guy did it, you know, um, cover down some leads. They definitely um, changed kind of the narrative of some of what the prosecution was putting out there. So it was pretty interesting. That's a deep dive. Three seasons yeah. of the same case. Yeah. Pretty impressive. So this PI has been working, I think, for 10 plus years on this uh, case. Yeah. A lot of hard work go- went into it. Like I said, definitely should listen to Cousins by Blood if you want to get all the nitty gritty details that will be sure to put reasonable doubt into your mind. Um, he discusses, like I said, all sides of the case, including what may ha- help him, um, the defendant, or might not. Um, I'm doing this case because um, the person that we're going to talk about, he is sentencing, is co- or his execution date, excuse me, is coming up next month. Oh, boy. Yes. All right. So here we go. Ivan Cantu was born June 14, 1973, married and divorced twice. He did, had multiple jobs um, throughout his early um, years and into his 20s. In his younger years, Ivan worked with a traveling act in their sales department. And then he did some odd jobs 
in his mid-20s, he had a run, uh, runoff where he went and joined the Navy, but he didn't even complete basic training before he came home and had some legal matters to get out of being in the military. Um, then he started working with his cousin, James, at Countrywide Home Loans, um, where he worked Monday through Friday, as well as uh, Spencer Salad part-time, averaging another about 20 hours per week. So what is Ivan's charges? Obviously, um, if he's on death row, they're pretty significant. He's convicted of murdering his cousin, James Mosqueda, and um, James' fiance Amy Kitchens, on November 3rd, 2000, in Dallas, Texas. James was a 27-year-old who owned a mortgage company while Amy was just 21 and in nursing school at the time that they were killed. The capital charge was added, um, which was what was required for a person to be put on death row. So it was added due to the robbery of James's Corvette, Amy Kay's um, wedding ring that would cost about $10,000, and a Rolex, which was a family heirloom. Now, there are multiple players in this case, and I'm going to do my best to keep them all together. You'll see that some of them have similar names or the same names, so it's going to be kind of a lot to go through. Uh, if it gets confusing, just kind of holler at me. Uh, I'm going to also try and fo follow a decent timeline, but again, with so many players, um, there's going to be some back and forth. Uh, first, uh, Ivan met Amy Betcher in August of 2000 while she was dancing at a club called Baby Dolls. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. She began immediately staying with Ivan. And so this is, it's Amy Betcher. This is not Amy K. So this okay. is Amy not, B. Yes. Which is what I'll call her later right. on is Amy B. Um, so she immediately began staying with Ivan, who lived with his mom at the time. Soon the two shifted to crashing at a friend's apartment before getting one of their own, uh, which was located just about a mile away from James and his Amy. So there are multiple time variations of the timelines based on who's giving report. So again, I'm going to try and kind of push them all together. Uh, according to Amy B, again, this is Ivan's girlfriend. Um, on November 2nd, Ivan and Amy got into an argument. As they were arguing, Ivan got up and got a gun, walked over, and shot next to her head. Then put the gun to her head and told her to calm down. Amy got up and tried to leave, but Ivan stopped her at the door and slammed her hand in the door. Um, there is some corroborating evidence that Amy's hand did get injured kind of on this day. Eventually, Ivan moved away and Amy B. was able to leave. She reports that she just went outside to get some air before eventually returning to the apartment. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, off I'm, to a great start. I'm assuming she doesn't, like, leave for good either, which is such a shame. No, she definitely, definitely does not. I've had some bad boyfriends but not that <laughs> not that extreme right? yeah the next day november 3rd ivan was out to work most of the day after which he went to the grocery store and ran errands at 11:30 p.m. he made phone call to his cousin james and then immediately left the apartment telling amy b he had to go kill james again this part's all coming from amy at 12:18 he returned in blood soaked jeans and socks that he had gloves on his hands and had a gun with him, and he was upset that it had jammed. After Ivan showered, the two took mushrooms and went to Smiley's together, and Smiley was a local drug dealer. On the way, they stopped at James and Amy Kay's, where Ivan forced Amy to go into the house and see the bodies, rifling through the things to look for money and drugs. There, Ivan grabbed his cell phone that he had left behind, along with a pair of boots. 
He took James's Corvette and told Amy B to take their Honda back to the apartments. They got more drugs, and then Ivan handed Amy K a ring, or Amy B, excuse me, a ring and asked her to marry him. She oh. said yes. My God. Yeah. So all this just happens, and he's just like, hey, here's this ring. Marry me. And she's like, all right, let's do it. Okay. That's probably the mushrooms talking. Um, and then also, what a weird way to use mushrooms. Like, yes, I have not quite the enlightenment that I'm used to hearing about. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there already. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Amy B reports that later she found out that this ring was the one that was taken from Amy K. Um, and he had stolen it. He had killed the pair. So as they headed to a club called Seven, Ivan threw out a garbage bag of items. And in one interview, Amy B. reports that he tossed out the Rolex watch. However, later she reports that Ivan dumped it um, on the way back from Arkansas, which they go to later. So I'll kind of talk about that later. Um, they stayed at Seven from 3.15 to 3.45 a.m. before going back to Smiley's. And then they moved on to um, another person's house called Metal his house oh my god another friend of amy b's where they stayed until about 10 a.m after this they finally went home slept for a few hours and got up and left between 12 and 12 30 to go to arkansas um which is about an eight hour drive um and this was to meet amy b's parents oh my god wild right it's wild what what is happening i don't understand why you dump a rolex either like why are you not actually gonna just sell it and then if you're gonna just crash it why take it so that comes up later um this rolex was a family heirloom and ivan actually says why would i dump a rolex in an interview that exact same thing he says why would i dump a rolex why would you why Um, would anyone do that unknown yeah he's got it he hit it somewhere yeah that's my prediction we'll see we'll talk about it later yeah all right well there are many differences in ivan's version of kind of what goes down Um, So what does he say that happened? According to Ivan, he did go to work, but he came home around 5 p.m. When he came home, Amy told him that she was going to go out tanning. Approximately 15 minutes after she left, there was a knock at the door. And when Ivan answered, he saw a pizza delivery guy and assumed that they had the wrong address. However, the man was, according to Ivan, a Hispanic but fair-skinned man, approximately six feet in height, with his hair at about his shoulder length, um, but pulled back was wielding a gun and pushed his way through the door. He was wearing a Domino's shirt, khakis, light brown loafers, and dark rim glasses. He put a gun, uh, Ivan to his knees and stated that James owes him money, approximately $250,000 worth, and he wanted to know if Ivan laundered money with James. Um, so it will come up later that James is a known drug dealer, and they think that he was using his mortgage company in some sources. Um, to launder some of this drug money. Ivan told the man no repeatedly, and the man said until James paid up that they were going to go after his friends. And Ivan said that as he was kind of looking up at the man, he could see a list with names on it, and he believed that it included names he recognized to be known associates of friends of James. The man placed a gun next to Ivan's head and shot into the wall. So both Ivan and Amy B are accounting for a gunshot in their apartment. Just different versions of how this occurred. Was Amy reported to be there? No, not time? at this time. She was out. 
to me, it sounds like Ivan's covering up the fact that he lost his mind and shot a gun at his girlfriend. But, I didn't really see that. I mean, this is a great cover-up that he's already starting. The spitting. There's this, yeah, there's this horrible drug lord coming after me and my family. Like, I have to take care of everyone, and it wasn't me that did any of these killings. Like, it's already, I already see where he's going. That's great. He's certainly genius. Um, he said after this happened, um, the man ended up leaving the apartment and Ivan stayed on, on his knees for a couple minutes before deciding to move. When he looked out the window, he saw this so delivery guy get into a long box style Lincoln and take off. When he uh, was asked, because he was asked why he didn't report this, Ivan implied that he couldn't without giving away that James was a drug dealer. And again, like I said, this fact came out to be true. James was a known drug user and used his mortgage company and rent rentals to launder drug money through it. He did speak to James, um, and James asked him to leave his Honda outside that night, um, outside his house, to make it look like there was company over, telling him to take the Mercedes out for the evening. Ivan went and picked up the Mercedes, uh, and when he found that it needed gas, he went to the gas station at Albertsons. Unfortunately, no investigator went to this location to request surveillance. So his story about this time can't be verified. Oh, no. Yeah. You're going to see um, that there is a lack of adequate investigation and evidence gather gathering that litters this case. I feel like that's what gives podcasters a podcast. Yeah, it gives us something to talk <laughs> that's about. It's just like the way it goes these days. Yeah. Maybe hindsight's twenty twenty, but Always. I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of mistakes made out there from the jump yep after getting fueled up he picked up amy b and they went to smiley's so again he says yep they did go to smiley's for ecstasy and coke at about 1 15 to 1 30 a.m then as they were driving um, around ivan realized that the mercedes had low tire pressure and so he called back to their house and basically was like hey i need to switch cars out like there's something wrong with your tires um james however still wanted to keep the honda out front um, so at around 2.30, they switched out, and James had a Corvette. So Ivan and Amy B took this Corvette. They drove to the apartment to grab some CDs. Um, and while he was loading the six-disc changer, which in those cars was located in the trunk, uh, a neighbor walked by. And Steve, the neighbor, verified that around 3 a.m., he saw Ivan, and they exchanged pleasantries, and that Ivan was completely calm, cool, collected. After this, Amy B. and Ivan went to Club 7. So again, they agree that they did go to Club 7. But by the time they got there, most of their friends had gone. So they left and went to Harlan's, where they met um, a DJ friend. Um, after staying there for a little bit, they left and stopped by James again. At this time, it was approximately 6.30 a.m. and decided at this time they could switch out the Corvette to the Honda. Because uh, it's morning time now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they have not gone home. They did, slept for a couple hours, getting up around 9.30 a.m. Then Ivan says he went and dropped off a money order for rent, and at 10.30 a.m. they left Arkansas. Again, no footage was pulled, so they don't know if he did drop off the money order at that time. A Corvette was found the next day, however, at Ivan and ABB's apartment, just kind of kitty corner to where their apartment was. Is there, like, records of him dropping off this money order though like it has to be like a timestamp or something you would think maybe maybe not not timestamp because they didn't have surveillance of him walking in right so no 
they can't confirm at what time it was dropped off. That seems like what a wildly like awkward thing to do after you've just killed someone. It's like, oh, hey, I got to pay my rent before we take out. Like, I mean, he also had a Corvette and was changing out the six changer after he supposedly killed somebody and saw his neighbor and was like, hey, howdy, neighbor, what's up? I guess that's true as well. But the music I sort of get, you might need to change the mood a little bit. Yes. But I don't know, the rent is like not really the responsible brain I think I'd be thinking about at that point. Yeah, yeah, very meticulous in thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy B and Ivan both agree that they did head to Arkansas because Amy wanted to introduce Ivan and that this trip had been planned weeks ahead of time. They arrived in Arkansas late in the evening, and after introductions and light talk, Amy announced that they were engaged. Uh, later, Ivan said that they he had not proposed that night, that they had actually planned to tell the parents that they were engaged um, so that they were allowed to sleep in the same room. Um, again, oh. he hadn't officially proposed yet. She was, however, wearing a ring. But Ivan says it was a uh, fake cubic zirconium that she had gotten from a friend named Raina. Ivan said that it was Sunday when he turned his phone on um, after getting to Arkansas and started receiving messages that his cousin and fiance had been killed. Both of these stories have like pretty intense details, like meticulous details. Yeah. That it's hard to really even begin to decipher which one I believe or don't believe. Yes. Because they're both so bizarre. And how accurate can you be on, like, so they picked up Coke and Ecstasy. So we're watching the clock. Like, who knows what time I have. Right. I don't remember what time I did the things I did yesterday. Right. They're like, oh, at 3.15, I definitely was here. Oh, I mean, 3.15? I guess if you hadn't done any Coke and Ecstasy, you might remember what time of night, like, your night changed. Yeah. Like, you might have, like, some indication of, like, oh, yeah because we we're you know gonna be going home we didn't score any good drugs yeah but they both of them have very meticulous timelines yeah they're very dry these are the times that we did it i would never have known that level of detail it's pretty incredible and just the detail and what like the fact that she was saying like mushrooms he has token ecstasy and they're just like both of these two things are pretty particular mm-hmm. and they're just both so confident about this timeline that they created. Yes, they are. So let's get into how the couple was found before moving ahead with the timeline of eight, uh, Ivan and Amy B. Officers were called out Saturday night for a welfare check. Gladys, James's mother, who was going to spend the night with them actually on November 3rd, but was told um, that the couple was going to have friends over instead or some people over, not necessarily friends. Um, instead, they uh, Amy had made plans to meet up with her the next day. Gladys called several times throughout the morning and afternoon, and after being unsuccessful in getting an answer, decided to go over to the house. She found that the house was locked, and still no answers came, so Gladys and her husband went to the fire department. Firefighters looked around the house and were able to see into part of a window. I believe it was the master bedroom, um, and all they could see that there was a visible pair of feet um, on a, like lying on the bed, I think. And so they called in officers to assist. By the time the two responding officers got there, they found Amy K. So it's right. K lying face down as if she had been in a struggle or running 
according to one of the uh, responding officers. James was found in his bed in a t-shirt and boxers, having been shot in the head twice. Blood spattered the ceiling, suggesting that he was likely asleep um, at the time. There are some reports that say, oh, well, if Ivan did it, maybe he was talking to him. And I was like, in his bed, lying down. Like, I can't wrap my head around. And many people have, you know, talked about how they could get people in the bed. To me, it sounds like they were asleep. The person went over to the bigger target, which would be James, shot him in the head in his sleep so he couldn't respond. And Amy woke up to these gunshots and took off and then got shot on her way out. There's a lot of theories, but this is what makes sense to me in my head. That definitely makes probably the most sense. And I also, how is the house locked still? Like, that's confusing to me. So, someone had to get in and then use a key to lock it again or go out the window, I guess. I don't know. It seems... I we'll have talk to, about I that have soon. Feeling we'll bring that up here We soon. sure will. Yeah. I keep giving you the look. I like, know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. We're going to get there. I am not going to tell you in advance, okay? okay that's fair. That's fair. I can wait like you the rest of everyone. All right. Um, like I said, he was found suggesting he was asleep. It seems like he was killed first. Um, the killer also after, so as Amy got up and ran, she got shot. The killer then, like as she fell, came over and shot her twice in the back of the head. Yeah, so pretty brutal. Um, the crime scene was described as gruesome and bloody by responding officers. The pair were killed in what appeared to be a hit rather than a robbery. Again, this is according to first responders. They said that um, everything was immaculate. There was nothing like torn up. Not, doesn't seem like anybody was looking for anything. Um, and the only reason that they know that things were taken is because while Gladys was there, the officers asked her kind of if she noticed anything missing. And that's when she named the Rolex and Amy Kay's ring. Um, and obviously the Corvette from the garage, because that's a pretty big item. Mm. Um, this also goes against what Amy B was saying, that Ivan and James spoke over the phone before Ivan headed over to the house. Because why would James have gone to bed knowing that Ivan was headed over to him? Again, as the rest of the house was immaculate, no drawers were open and nothing was turned out. Doesn't seem like it's a robbery. It seems very calculated. It definitely seems calculated. Yeah. Uh, the medical examiner noted that at 6.30 p.m., Amy Kay had rigor that had started in her jaw, but that her limbs were still movable, which is huh. an interesting note. Mm -hmm. yeah. For James, the medical examiner simply wrote uh, that he was in rigor doesn't know specifics so we don't know if he was in full body rigor if it's just his jaw like amy um and then before leaving the scene no body temperature was obtained from either amy or james of course so um that makes it much harder to determine time of death and per a forensic pathologist rigor starts around six hours in the jaw and its peak is around 12 to 24 hours after 24 hours, the rigor breaks and the body will become movable again. This likely puts their time of death around noon that day, not the night before. So if you remember, Amy B. and Ivan left town. They would have not been home at this time. Hmm. Um, 
Uh, again, without the body temperature, this remains a very rough estimate. Um, Sylvia, Ivan's mother, was at the scene along with James' parents, and she began to worry about Ivan uh, because, you know, again, they have no idea what happened, why this happened. Um, so she started calling him. She was unable to get a hold of him. The same responding officers overhear kind of this conversation of her trying to get a hold of his son and decide to do a welfare check on Ivan. So Sylvia states that the trio go over to the apartment complex and then have to wait till about 8.15 p.m. to get the keys from the apartment manager. So they're just chilling outside waiting. Police officers have Sylvia wait outside while they clear the apartment, which she said felt like it took forever, which honestly, if I was worried about my child, I think two minutes would feel like oh. an eternity. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. After it was cleared, um, they all went to the apartment. Um, Sylvia got to enter it as well. She says it was immaculate, which is typical for Ivan, who likes all of his areas to be clean. Um, seeing that nothing was amiss, the trio start to exit. When one of the police officers shines a light on the door frame, remarking a hole, even stating that he thought it looked like a bullet hole. But Sylvia, she's like, I don't know anything about that. Um, mm. Nothing further came of the apartment search at that time. But please remember this is this when we talk about evidence later. For sure. Okay. Um, that two officers and his mother had just been through a very clean apartment, according to all of them. Well, I should say, according to Sylvia and one of the officers, one of the other officers is still a with the department and is unable to speak on this. Okay. Um, so back at the crime scene, uh, investigators, again, like I said, asked Gladys if anything was missing, and this is when she reported those items that I talked about. Um, later, it's found that Mark, Amy Kay's brother, uh, ended up having the Rolex. However, this Rolex was used during um, the court case, claiming that it was still stolen at the time. Oh. And it had been proven to be found. Yeah. So what happens is um, Mark, I believe, says he finds it in under, like, it's behind a dresser, something like that, when they're moving stuff. And he returns it to police, who then return it to Gladys, because that's the rightful owner, but there was never any log indicating that this was completed. So on the police end, there's no, there was no closed loop of like, hey, we found this item. It is not in fact missing. And so when it goes to trial, there's nothing saying that was ever found. Was ever found. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there is um, a lot of rifts kind of between the family because of this, which is understandable. Right. You know, one cousin is going or murder of another cousin. I don't know if I would talk to that side of the family. It sounds like there was a breakdown of communication with that for a long time. Like uh, Mark didn't mention, like no one knew Mark had this Rolex? No. And Mark is Amy Kay's brother. So the fiance. Um, and like I said, that side. So like, I don't know how close it doesn't really explain how close, you know, they were to, the rest of the family because they're soon to be in-laws. They're not even related hmm. at this time. And then when Gladys gets it, she doesn't tell Sylvia and because they're not speaking. Right. And so nobody knows because there's just this open-ended like, and 
even if I got it, like if I got the watch from the police, I would assume that they were like, oh, it's done. And if I don't listen to the trial, how do I know that they used it? Right. And that's going to come up later. It's pretty. All of this is insane. Just wait as it goes on. Shady. There is a lot. It's shady. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, this is um, odd because several articles, it mentions that the night of or before the murder, depending on what you want to conclude from rigor, the couple had gone out to dinner with the family and um, they said that James was wearing the watch at that time. Still, Mark had the watch in his possession and handed it to police, who again apparently never logged it before returning it to Gladys, who has kept it ever since. Moreover, like I said, it was used in the trial as a missing piece of evidence against Ivan, using Amy B's testimony that he stole it and dumped it later. Hmm. Yikes. Sort of sounds like Amy B had it out for Ivan little bit it does a lot yeah yeah she uh she definitely had made some plans here it sounds like and thought this through that's why her story was maybe so meticulous maybe ivan reports that he turned on his phone the next day so again we're back to sunday um and that's when he started getting all the notifications about events unfolding back home in dallas he spoke with numerous people, including his mother, Sylvia. Um, I believe it was at this point that Sylvia told Ivan that Detective Wynn, who's going to be covering most of this case, would like to speak with him. Ivan informed Sylvia that they would be back home in a few days. On November 7th, Ivan and Amy B. left her parents' house and drove back to Texas, stopping at Tawny's house. And Tawny was an ex-girlfriend of Ivan, and the two had remained good friends since kind of breaking up. Um, I think it was on again, off again for a while. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. Like, I don't know. She'd go to bat for Ivan. This might have been a good idea. Um, but again, there's so many names here. So sorry if it gets confusing. It was but... Amy with Amy was with him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So Amy has to be a jealous woman. Just from what I'm picking up so far of this woman. Yeah. Not a great idea. Quite. Not a good look. As they drove, Amy B. says that on the way home, Ivan took the ring back from Amy B., telling her that she, um, he was going to get it sized. Both Amy and Ivan's timeline match this information and is further corroborated by Tawny. Ivan said that he called the police station when they got there and was told that Detective Wynn was gone for the evening. So he left Tawny's apartment um, and went to his own to get a few things. When he arrived in his own apartment, he found an inventory list on his countertop that, uh, and that his apartment had clearly been rifled through. Mm. The inventory list was from the police, identifying items they took from the apartment, so they went ahead and searched it while he was gone. Is Before- that legal? Can you do that? Mm-hmm. I guess murder probably mm-hmm. allows you to do that. With but- a warrant? Yeah, I mean, if so... If they're living in an apartment complex, the manager is more than able oh, right. to go ahead and open that up police. And with a, you know, proper search warrant, I wouldn't see why not. Yeah. That just seems like such a powerful, like power play. Yeah. To come home and the police have just rifled through your stuff. Well, if you expect somebody or if you think that somebody committed murder, are you going to wait for them to go home and be able to clean up the evidence? No, definitely not. And I guess if you think about it too, if he was the murderer, then 
you need to get in that apartment. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be furious on the other end of it. Like just depends on who's the victim in the scenario, I guess. Yes. Uh, according to Ivan, he thought that this paper looked fake. Uh, so he took it back to Tawny's to show her and Amy B. And then they called his mom and told her about the paper. Sylvia agreed to meet up with Ivan and Amy B at an IHOP to discuss it. And she brought along her pen sister, Penny. It's mornings. I love a good IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> By the time all this was happening, it was in the early morning hours. Uh, I'm talking like 2 to 3 a.m which bless his mom for constantly taking calls from her son at these hours. I'm not going to lie. If my son was an adult, I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe right after a murder, but dang, that is so early. That's it's pretty early, but I would, yeah, I would be like on top. Like I don't even know if I'd hear my phone. I mean, at least in this day and age there, I'm sure it was more landlines, but like, like, did I take my phone off vibrate? Probably not. I feel like if like my daughter lived like, Close to her cousins, hung out with them frequently, was in this sort of the same friend group, and one of them was just assassinated almost the night before. Like, mm-hmm. I would be like moving her. I don't care how old she is. We'd be packing her stuff up and we'd be getting out of the like, area. Congrats, like, you get to come live with me again. Yes. Like, <laughs> we are moving to Cabo, girl. Like, we're getting out of here. Oh. After meeting with Sylvia and Penny, the group decided. Um, Ivan would go to see Detective Wynn, um, of course, later that morning. When Ivan and Amy B. headed, oh, then Ivan and Amy B. headed over to Metals again. This mm-hmm. is Amy B.'s friend um, to do some speed. While they were at Metals, um, according to Ivan, he said that Metal had a collection of guns and Ivan decided time to handle them. I have a question real fast. How does metal spell his name? Is it like M-E-T-A-L or is it like metal? Like a metal and thing. I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't think it was ever written down. Okay. Because um, later on, a uh, Matt Duff private investigator looks for him and um, Sylvia finds him by going to like this house that Ivan had picked out after 20 years of not seeing anything. And she asked Metal's mom, she's like, did he, do you have a son? She's like, yeah, do you ever go by Metal? Like, yeah. So they, it's just word of mouth. Okay. So there's no spelling. I, I spelled it like M-E-T-A-L. Yeah, I'm just, that's like, I'm I was just curious, say. like, what? Like, I feel like that says a lot about his personality. If it's, I mean, yeah, right. it's spelled, yeah. Um, November 8th, Ivan calls Detective Wynn who confirms the validity of the inventory and says that Ivan um, should come speak with him. Tawny and Ivan leave Tawny's apartment when Tawny heads to work. Ivan goes to meet up with Sylvia and Penny, again, stopping to eat. There's a lot of food involved. Sylvia and Penny urge Ivan to bring Amy B in to speak with a detective as well. So uh, they decide after eating to go pick her up, but they stop at an ATM because Sylvia said that she needed money to park downtown. When they get to the ATM, however, they're confronted by police who had definitely been following them, um, who arrested Ivan and impounded Sylvia's car. Ivan says at this time they interrogated him for hours, asking if he knew anything and if anyone could have had access to his apartment while he was away. He said, actually, yes, there were people that might have had access. So he had borrowed a car from his friend Anthony, and uh, it was 
a Mustang, I believe. And he had put his apartment key on the key ring while he was using it. And then when he gave the keys back, he didn't remember to take his apartment key off of it. Why are these people borrowing their friends' cars so frequently? They, like, just trade cars all the time. So strange. So you'll find out, okay? We'll talk about all this. Uh, Sylvia then at this time calls Amy to let her know that Ivan had been arrested and rather than go to the police to find out what happened, Amy B booked a ticket back to her parents' house. Um, she mm -hmm. called up Tawny and begged her to come home, telling her Sylvia was on her way to pick her up and she didn't want to see her. So Tawny comes um, and gets her. The two head to the airport, stopping at a bar for drinks. Wow. Tawny says that they make small talk before setting out again to the airport. And as Tawny drops off Amy B, um, Amy hands her a stack of cash and tells her to look really carefully around her apartment for something Ivan might have left, which that is a suspicious statement. That is a suspicious statement. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, Amy is so guilty. She's so guilty. Oh, I mean, that's not what the court says. Oh, no. Um, upon returning home, Tawny says that she was a little tipsy and decided uh, that she was going to look at the money that Amy had handed her. She handed her an amount of $1,500. Wow. Which is pretty significant. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also said, she's like, oh, why not around my apartment? And she flipped like, the first couch cushion that was closest to the door. And under it, she found a gun, bullets, and drugs all neatly lined up under it. Hmm. Yes. So now Tani gives an excellent account um, again for the podcast Cousins by Blood, and it's clear that she does not like Amy B. She uh, first she states that Ivan does not own a gun. When the pair first showed up at the door, she was pushing Ivan around and in a panic, like basically freaking out at him, like, "Do you know what's happening? Where have you been?" And she's like, "I definitely would have felt he was hiding a gun somewhere." Also, that Amy B. at no point seemed to be afraid of Ivan, which um, is opposite of her testimony that she ends up giving in the state's case where she said she was afraid for her life, that Ivan kept threatening her, um, and yet she makes no attempt to leave. Tani also states that Ivan wouldn't have had time to hide the gun or bullets, laying them out so neatly. The only person left alone in the apartment was, in fact, Amy B., who had about six hours in the apartment by herself. Oh. Tawny was at work and Ivan was out and then detained by police. Oh my gosh. This is, this is crazy. I like just can't even understand how anyone would think anything different at this point, assuming that this information was given to the jury. and the It was not. The defense never called her as a witness. Oh no. In fact, she reached out to them and they declined to use her. No. Tani did say that she was subpoenaed by the prosecution, but that uh, he started to fall asleep as she was talking, basically because she wasn't giving the information that they wanted. Right. They kept trying to get her to claim that Ivan had been physically abusive to her, and they were disinterested when she uh, refused adamantly and repeatedly. Um, side note, there are sources that say that Ivan's first two wives testified to abuse, so there may have been some credibility to that. Um, but Tawny, again, claims that there was nothing. Wait, how many times was he married? Twice. Twice. Okay. Oh, up, right. Up he to this point, twice. He wasn't married to Amy yet. So. Yeah. 
that's right. Yeah, the ring was either A, stolen from a dead woman, or B, a cubic zirconium. Yes. <laughs> from Walmart or wherever yeah. you would buy it. From her friend Raymond. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Raymond. Um, so now what did Tani do when she found everything in her apartment? Well, some of the drugs, according to her own admission, she used. Then she called Ivan's brother, Eric, and made him move the gun to the countertop. She said she couldn't even look at it. She's like, what is this? Uh, the next morning, she contacted a lawyer, and together her and the lawyer contacted police. They handed over everything to authorities. Uh, it turns out that the gun barrel had blood matching James and Amy Kate in it, so in the barrel, mm. as well as a smudged partial fingerprint, which um, the prosecution claims that matched Ivan. And uh, it also matched bullets retrieved from the doorframe of Ivan B's, Ivan and Amy B's apartment. Mm. We'll get into it later, I promise. Now I want to specifically talk about Sylvia. I've mentioned her a few times up until this point. Um, but she plays a huge role in this. She talks a lot. She helps out pretty much everybody when she can. So since Sylvia went to Ivan's house the same night as the murders, um, Matt decided to, the Matt PI again, and referencing the podcast, Cousins by Blood, um, showed her photographs that were taken at the time the police had entered the apartment with the search warrant and removed items for evidence. This photo shows jeans, size 34, 34, socks, gloves, and gloves neatly placed on the top of an open trash container, which um, was like right by the front door. By the way, Ivan is a 30-30. So if he had been wearing these jeans, he would have been swimming. The photo also showed disheveled countertops um, everywhere. So not because the police had rifled through it, like stuff on the countertops, things going on. Um, I think that Sylvia said that there was like a beer bottle on a countertop. Again, this um, apartment had just been searched um, as part of a welfare check days prior. Uh, and these jeans, while they were in the trash, showed minuscule droplets of blood at the bottom of the jeans and on the bottom side of the socks. This evidence contradicts Amy B's testimony that he came home covered in blood. Not to mention, there was no blood found in his car, the Corvette, or the Mercedes. Right, which there would be. Because mm -hmm. there's, I mean, in either of their stories, neither of them would have time to account for cleanup. This evidence, uh, oh, like I said, contradicts Amy B's testimony. Not to mention, there was no blood um, Okay, I said that again. I'm just rereading my same stuff. It's fine. We'll keep talking about it. I can hear it a few times. I got I'm lost. Trying to trying to wrap my head around this whole scenario here. So what did Sylvia have to say about this? Um, that this was not how the apartment looked the night of the welfare check uh, after Ivan and Amy B had left for Arkansas. In addition, Matt spoke with the police officers. Um, again, she, he was only able to talk to the one that had since retired from the force. Um, and she reports that her and the other officer went in and they would have absolutely noticed this evidence that was later collected by police at the time of the welfare check, that both her and her partner are pretty observant. After all, her partner was the one to notice the bullet hole in the wall on the way out. 
these photos were in evidence, which could have been used in trial if the defense wanted to. But um, like many others, Sylvia was not called to testify for the defense oh, and didn't see the photos until like, I think it was like 10 years later that he showed her. It was the public defender, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that he actually had a pair of them. Yeah, I know. But they're all bad. They aren't. They do an incredible, incredible job most of the time. But dang, that's like it also reminds me, as much as I hate these people, I like if this ever a scenario was even partially similar similar to this, I'm pulling out my phone and I'm recording every aspect of it. Like because yeah. you have to these days. Mm -hmm. You just have to. So actually her, um, so Sylvia and her sister Penny were told that they weren't allowed in the courtroom at all by the defense attorneys. And at the time believed that it was because of it was a capital murder case. So they didn't hear any of the trial. Why would the defense say that? I don't know. Um, Sylvia describes numerous events that occurred surrounding the murders and the time after. Much of this time she was with Penny, so I'll likely be mentioning her name a lot too. Again, that's Sylvia's sister. All right, I'm about to introduce even more people into this and I'll continue to do my best to not make this confusing. But honestly, it's a lot, so bear with us. Sylvia received a phone call from Carlos, a longtime friend of James and an acquaintance of Ivan's, giving his condolences and saying that he was sorry he'd missed the funeral and he, as he was in Waco taking care of a sick uncle, Anthony, Carlos's roommate would also be unable to attend as he was already out deer hunting. And Anthony is another friend of the cousins, the one that Ivan had borrowed far from that we okay. talked about earlier. Yeah. Sylvia specifically mentions how she felt that this was odd that he would say that, almost like he was attempting to create an alibi for himself. I also think it's odd that he would call Sylvia and not Gladys. Because Sylvia is the aant. So it's right. Ivan's it's, mom and the aunt, and Gladys right. would have been the mother. The mother. Like, of why would James. you have called Gladys? I know that to tell someone that, you, yeah, to say that you've been out deer hunting. Yeah, it's an odd. That's weird. It's an odd thing to you're say. You're like, give, yeah, you're creating an alibi. Done. Like, is he a big guy? Are those pants? Would they shame him? I don't know. I don't know. That's what we all want to know. Uh, at some point, she gets wind that the two, so Carlos and Anthony, had likely been running drugs in the Mustang. This Mustang is um, both unimportant in itself, but important in, in like how Sylvia gets a lot of her information. So, um, again, all of this could have been helpful if the defense had called her to testify. So the Mustang. Originally, this Mustang was purchased for Sylvia or by Sylvia, or Ivan. Oh, boy. Yes. So this um, the time that she purchased it was just before he ran off to join the Navy, um, and he was out of work and getting behind on payments. So when he left, Anthony took over the Mustang and its payments. However, it remained in Sylvia's name. So when she found out that it was being used to move drugs around, she decided she needed to get it back. That's fair. Mm -hmm. It's registered to you. Probably don't want to be tangled up in that. Yeah. I think the same thing. Yeah. Like, not in my name. Thank you. Yeah. 
While she had just been told that the pair were out of town, she and Penny decided to drive over to Anthony and Carlos's apartment to see if anybody else was there that could hand over the keys. When they knocked on the door, lo and behold, Anthony answers the door, and they can hear Carlos in the background on the phone. Carlos is speaking with Ivan in another room, um, and so they just go into the apartment, and Sylvia decides she wants to know what they're saying. So she goes into Carlos's office and turns on the fax machine on speaker, because at that time, if a landline was connected to a fax, it could be used this way as a speakerphone. Oh, cool. She's smart. Yeah, little pi herself i know she's pretty amazing as she listens uh she hears ivan tell the story of the pizza delivery guy to carlos uh, and carlos says if it ever happens again to send him to his house and he would take the plastic out and deal with it. again sylvia reports this is an odd thing to say and that's why she like gave all this information over to the pi Unfortunately, Detective Wynn showed up at that time, and all five of them, so Anthony, Carlos, Penny, Sylvia, and the detective headed to the station. While Anthony and Carlos are taken to the back, and it seems they do give reports, Sylvia and Penny are made to wait the entirety of the day in the front without getting called to the back to answer any questions. Anthony gets held at this time, uh, to which they believe it's for an unrelated drug charge. So it had nothing to do with the case, but they found out likely he had a warrant for something else. Carlos offers to drive Sylvia and Penny back to Carlos's apartment. And while driving them, asks if they knew that James kept 35000 in the house and had a safe poured into concrete. Which is an odd thing to say right. as you're driving two yeah. people to an apartment. What an incredibly odd thing to say. What relevance does that have? Why? What are you trying to set up? And who? So who asked that question? Nobody asked anything. He just offered up the he information. Yeah. He's just like, oh, hey, you know that he keeps a ton of money just out and has his whole safe supposedly poured, poured into concrete somewhere in the house. Oh, I mean, he was trying to figure out where it was. That's probably why you're saying that. If he wants to know where it's poured. Again, suspicious. It suspicious. is. Uh, when they reach the apartment, there's two additional cars in the driveway, and Carlos makes mention of this, kind of asking if they could pull out the Mustang the next day. And at this point, Penny and Sylvia are just exhausted. So they're like, all right, fine. On the next day, they go to Anthony's, uh, Carlos's house, and Michelle, uh, one of their wives, answered the door, handed over the keys, and was like, there you go. At that time, there was a second key on the carrying. Oh. But nobody ever tested to see if it would fit the apartment door. Oh, my God. Oh, no. This lack of investigation is insulting at this point. Oh, it's it's just devastating. Like, and it, a lot of these are things that are, like, not really that, you have to be an incredible detective to think about. Yeah. Like, you've been told someone else has access into this apartment. Find out who. Find out who. Verify. How do you think that he had access? Just go see. Is there a key on the key ring that this guy talked about? Oh, sure enough, there is. Yeah. What type of beer does he drink? Is it the same bottle that was on the counter when he yeah. went in there? Like, I don't know. It just seems so. It's a lot. It is a lot. This is about to get even more confusing and interesting. 
I like, it's not really that confusing to me yet. Yeah. There's a, I like, I think there's so many people that I'm like, what is happening? I've created an image for each of them in my mind. And I just vision Sylvia and Gladys as like these strong, powerful moms who just are the matriarchs of their family. And these dumb boys who just are messing everything up for them. And then, of course, truthfully, when it comes down to it, though, then Amy, Amy B, who decides off. Amy B, the stripper. Yeah. It's a lot of drugs. Yeah. She's got to be. <laughs> she's, she's the one. She is the one who probably was sleeping with one of these guys, Carlos or Anthony or whoever you're about to introduce. And they knew there was money in James's place and they were going to steal it and run away together. That's my theory. That's a heck of a theory. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go back to Sunday <laughs> evening. So Sylvia's brother had come over to James and Amy Kay's house after it was released to the family. So this is after the murders, but Sunday. When they uh, were in the house, they noted that the spare bedroom had been slept in. Turns out the couple had taken in a roommate three weeks prior. Y'all, why is he not a suspect? That's super how is that like the first? I mean, I know that I'm being told the story, but like, where was this guy at? Like, how has no one mentioned him? Like, why would that not be? Because where was I going to put him in earlier? No, I mean, not you, but like, and just in general, I feel like that would be something that this guy, like, he would just instantly be like, yeah. It's the roommate. It's right? the roommate. That would have been my first thought. That would have been the where story. Where is the roommate? Is the roommate like, safe? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this roommate. Frank Perez, who was 36 at the time um, he was living there. He was new in the area and started working with James, who let him stay until he got on his feet. While Sylvia, her brother, uh, and his wife Gladys were all in the house, Frank, so the roommate, stops in. He attempted to pick up some checks James had for his rental properties, according to Gladys, that he was taking over the business now. Gladys basically told him to get fucked, ripped up the checks back out of his hand and kicked him out. During this time, Mark Kitchen, so Mark Kitchen, if you remember, was there. That's Amy Kay's brother. Yeah. Um, he was there with his sister, Anna, for translation purposes because part of the family speaks Spanish, part of them do not. They said that um, they witnessed Frank opening doors with his sleeve. Which, why are you doing that unless you're trying not to leave fingerprints? Why are you doing that? Why? The scene was cleared, so again, they're not going to re-fingerprint it anyway. So still odd. Um, and so stupid to do that in front of people. <laughs> but he's just a germaphobe. He's like, I don't want to I went over to my friend's house, my acquaintance house, I guess, you know, someone who knows someone, and I walk in. There's someone walking around, opening doors with their sleeve after it was like a murder scene. I would be out of there so quick. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy did it. Also, did you catch how fast they released that scene? No. That's the same fucking night. Oh, right. Oh, I did not catch that. The same the fucking same night? night? Oh, yeah. yeah. We definitely have searched it enough. You can have it. I have never heard of a scene getting cleared that fast. Never. Like, sure. We, we got the bodies out, so it must be good. Like, There's so much left inside of it and you could 
there could be people who've come back there too. And like, Anna, Anna even reports like the blood was still there. Everything was still there. Just James and Amy were not. That's what they do when the victims aren't high profile. Yeah. I feel like they're like, okay, we've processed it enough. We got pictures. Right. Yeah. Uh, according to report reports, Frank had an alibi, and it was that he spent weekdays at James and Amy Kay's, and on the weekends went over to Sherman, which is about an hour away from Dallas, to be with other friends to do his laundry. I know we're all wondering this, but why would you need to do laundry in Sherman if he's living in a house with a functional washer and dryer? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he was definitely doing drugs over in Sherman. (laughs) Either doing them or selling them. So the couple that is in Sherman, um, they actually said that he did stop by every now and again, but it wasn't every weekend. But they thought that he was there. With this bag of laundry on his bag of laundry. Yeah. Frank also, I mean, he does get interviewed and he does give an alibi, um, but it's never corroborated. So when it gets looked into some 20 years later, it turns out his alibi is not real. Where he said he was, the person's like, no, he absolutely wasn't there that day. So the police never actually followed up on his event. They just were like, oh, you have an alibi. Sweet. Face value. Let's take it and run. It definitely just feels like they're like, okay, Ivan's our suspect, and they just pigeonhole themselves into trying to make sure that they have enough evidence to support that Ivan did it rather than to actually investigate any other potential suspects. That's just what it seems like. I feel like that happens so frequently that once the police have in their mind who they think potentially did it, they quit looking at like all of the evidence as a whole, and they start looking at just how can we how can you make him? it fit yeah how do you make it like fit? and it's just uh it's, it happens a lot like yeah. or maybe i just listen to too many like <laughs> too much true crime too much true crime but it happens way too much mm-hmm. mark also says that when they were talking about the murders frank said they weren't killed last night they were killed today which lines oh. up with the body rigor levels which, by the way, how would he on the podcast? The medical professional says Riger, and I have never heard it. I've never heard Riger. Okay, I just want to make sure because I was like, it, at work we call it Riger. Never yeah. heard it called anything else. I've never heard Riger. Okay, definitely not. I also was questioning when you were telling me that, like the ME who did those, like why don't you quantify Riger a little bit better, like. Yeah. You know, like he mentions the jaw on Amy, but then he just says that. Just, it's like James Dash. Right? Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Like, I just. Full rigor, partial. Like, I know. As, like, even a nurse, I would be so much more descriptive on what I, like, that's your job. You're the medical examiner. Well, and they're also at any crime scene supposed to take body temp. Right. And nothing was taken. I feel like that happens a lot too, which seems like, I think that. Although I would, I would imagine the standard of how you get a body temp is probably not the most attractive, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe you just get to shoot the little gun at it. Do the thermal reading, but I'm pretty sure you have to do an internal reading. It is. But, okay, come on, you guys. Yeah, that's your job. That's your job. Just do your job. Yeah. Do your job appropriately. Oh, it's just, yeah. 
All right, that's our medical take on those. Now we're going to move on to the attorneys in the trial because if the beginning of this didn't make you mad, shit's about to get wild. Wow. I have a lot of opinions about attorneys too. All right, so the family couldn't afford a lawyer of their own. Um, Sylvia, I think, mentioned that it costs you know thousands of dollars just for the retainer, and she's like, we couldn't afford it, and she really didn't believe that Ivan would get convicted. She's like, they didn't have anything, so why did I ever think that we needed to? hire somebody that's going to be expensive in these scenarios just as a psa out to whoever is listening assume they're out for you yes and do everything you can to fight that yeah because they're coming for you and they're going to take you down even if you don't think they are you think you're safe and there's no issues you need to assume in every scenario that the law is coming for you and they're going to put you behind bars rest of your life because you never know you never know that you're the suspect yeah next thing you know you've got handcuffs on it'd be like it happens all the time yeah so you know i worked for a a union a while ago which i we're not we won't talk about that um i will say they have attorneys right and i remember one of the attorneys saying don't ever speak to police um because the only thing you're gonna do is talk you can't talk yourself out of charges. You'll talk yourself into new yeah. ones. And I was like, but you look so, did you see it? Where people look so guilty when they're like, I want an attorney right away. I can guarantee you, I don't care what happened. If I ever went into cuffs, my first words would be, I want an attorney. Because I just like, and they would tell you stories. Like the attorneys would tell us stories like, oh yeah, like, you know, A, B, and C happened. And if they had just asked for an attorney, they would have been fine right but they had all these additional charges and i i ramble i talk like obviously and i was like oh i would just say some dumb stuff and that wouldn't even make sense some of it might just be because i'm so anxious that i'm just word vomiting things out and i was like i can't even imagine what i would say if i was under that stress i would just be like they'd be like no you have to do this i'd be like oh okay and then i get a charge because i agreed to something because i was so scared that i said yes yeah I, to whatever they're saying. I was like, nope, nope, Leilani, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Right? In those <laughs> scenarios, like I haven't been in a lot of them, but whenever I have had to interact with law enforcement and I have a little sense of like, mm-hmm. I'm maybe guilty in this scenario, like I just start being super honest. Yeah. And I'm like, this honesty is the best policy, right? Like, no, shut your mouth, Samantha, <laughs> yeah. and keep say, I want my lawyer. Like, I've never been in spot you know where i had to but even like when you get pulled over i'm like oh here we go yeah here we go i've been in a few scenarios where i've needed i've needed to probably oh, use no. that i want my lawyer yeah first and i did not pull that card out although i have my lawyer's card now in my wallet for that very scenario same <laughs> same anyway all right so ivan got saddled with two court court appointed lawyers matt geller and don i think it's hunt hurt according to the family the professional was lacking along with their ability to create an adequate case for the defendant gee at one point in pre-trial geller was in the presence of the prosecutor and told um, them basically that ivan wouldn't hurt a fly and then said come sit on my lawn." oh right who says that what Sylvia also says that after the first meeting or so, they didn't really explain anything to the family. 
and Ivan was also reporting that he rarely got to see his attorneys, and when he did, they weren't really giving case information. Keller didn't even tell Ivan that Amy B. was the prosecution's witness oh. and had created a whole account of what happened. So here he's talking to them, and he's like, just get Amy. Like, she can verify my story. Just get Amy. Just get Amy. And all along, Amy's working for the other side. Yeah, Amy's the one who's creating the whole timeline. But he had no idea until they got to trial. Uh, so he, he was banking on her, basically, to write his story. Right. At one point, a mediation specialist, Vincent Gonzalez, told Sylvia to put her feet up, relax, and watch some porn. Now, who the fuck thinks that's appropriate? What? When was... This was, like, in 2000? Yeah. So, I guess Me Too hadn't quite hit yet, but, like, that was never okay. No. That was never okay. And Sylvia, how old is poor little Sylvia? She's probably, I guess at this point, like, in her 50s at 50s, least. 50s like, at least. Yeah. Oh, that's that's crazy. What a disgusting man. Like, I can't ever, ever watch, like, considering going up to my mom and saying something like that. Like, uh, what? Shut your mouth. What a disgusting man. And then, the like, the defense attorneys hired that mediator, right? Like, yeah. that was their man. Well, I mean, right. see what they say. Yeah. Well, Ivan's bad luck continued as the jury selection occurred on September 11th, 2001. No. So while events were unfolding at the World Trade Centers, news reached selection during a break. And after that, nobody seemed to be interested oh, no. in, the, in the case, right? Um, so Ivan actually asked for a request to dismiss for the day and come back the next day uh, to allow families to go home and kind of get collected. And the judge refused, and they were meant to sort through the jury the rest of the day. The judge refused? Yep. Like, yep. wasn't Bush, like, in Texas when that happened? Like, I would think, like, Texas would sort of just, along with the rest of the country, but, like, Texas was like George Bush's. That's where he was from. I know. It's like his like, home. You would think Texas would be like, we need to pay attention. Yeah. The ultra patriotic. Right now. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on? And yet you're just like, nope. Yeah. We're just going to keep doing this. Keep on trucking. To make matters worse, Don and Matt took Penny and Sylvia out to lunch a few days into trial. While Sylvia and Penny, not Penny thought that it was for updates or to see how the case was unfolding. This was not to be true. Sylvia spoke with Matt and he informed her that Ivan confessed to the killing. He even later wrote an affidavit to that effect. Um, once he got fired, attorney, client attorney privileges were broken. Don spoke with Penny and what did they discuss? Well, he told her that after the trial each day, he'd gone home to rehearse lines for It's a Wonderful Life, play he was going to be in in the near future. So Uh not how they were going to refute the case. Oh, no. He was rehearsing lines for a play. That was was more important than a man's life. I hope that play was, like, on Broadway. I hope it bombed. I hope it bombed, but I hope it was at least, like, he was attempting to get on Broadway in New York City. Like, you better not have been doing a Dallas play. A local school play. Seriously. Uh, Later, when Don was asked about this confession of Ivan's, Don said that he had never heard about it. So um, the co-counsel was never told about 
a confession. Only one attorney out of the two seemed to know that this existed. Hmm. He said that Ivan had only ever told him that he was innocent. Which is odd. It is odd. On October 3rd, 2001, trial started and lasted a mere 10 days. Oh, crap. I know. It's not, that's not long. The Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial lasted so long. <laughs> Yeah, like three weeks long. Yeah. Prosecutors uh, open with lengthy remarks on why Ivan was guilty. And after that, the defense reserved rights for an opening statement, which means that theirs can be done rather than doing it at the same time as prosecution. Once prosecution rests, the defense starts their case, and that's when they do their opening remarks. Right. However, there was no defense case, so there was no statements. There was no defense case. Prosecutors called 34 witnesses and experts to the stand. Um, their key witness was Amy B., who played out the story I told you kind of leading up to this. Forensics matched the smudge fingerprint um, on the magazine of the gun to him at this time as well, which was verified by an independent agent. Oh, Detective means- Wynn then got on the stand without notes. But then after a break, retrieved a binder of or retrieved binders of information. These binders were not turned over from the state to the defense unless the information was specifically thought to be exculpatory. It's a ten dollar word. It is. Some of the information was found um, out at trial, including um, knowledge that the police received an anonymous anonymous tip about a man named Mario Rojas. This unnamed person said that uh, um, he was at a pool hall in Oak Cliff when he overheard Mario saying that James and Amy Kay were killed due to drugs. That James owed for, quote, the white stuff. Mario uh, worked with a man named Johnny Mojica, who was on the run at the time. The two drove limos together. Detective Wynn did talk to the narcotics division, who confirmed they knew about Mario but couldn't tie him to James, and that was it for the follow-up. Upon learning this, Matt Geller simply made a joke about investigating the tip um, and asking for a continuance, but never did anything further than that. Oh, my God. Other evidence was available that could have also aided in the defense case. First, James Corvette had a tool tag that hit at 11.15 on November 4th, and at that time... Both Amy and Ivan agree that they were out of town. So when the Corvettes moved. Hmm. Second, that telephone records show there was an outgoing call on November 4th at 8.53 from Ivan's apartment, which is over 15 minutes after police and Sylvia had completed the welfare check. And again, Amy and Ivan were out of town. And again, no apartment security cameras were ever checked. So somebody did drop off that Corvette or made the phone call. We'll never get to see it. Oh, no. In response, defense called zero witnesses of their own. They did not cross-examine many of the prosecution's witnesses. They didn't even hire their own independent defense investigator or any experts such as DNA or blood splatter. Ivan attempted to fire his attorneys mid-trial owing to their lack of doing anything, but it was denied. In the end, defense closed with statements that actually conceded Ivan was guilty, but argued um, that it was, wasn't a capital offense. 
that was his defense. Yeah. So um, one of the attorneys says, um, I did not say that Ivan was innocent. I said that he was not guilty of capital murder five times in his closing arguments. Five fucking times. Oh. That is going to stick with the jury. Yeah. But there's a lot that's going to stick with the jury here. Like, you, I, our justice system is so broken. It's so broken. I mean, it's got a great, great concept behind it. But the idea that you are trying to defend your life, you have like a shot in front of 12 people, 10 people ultimately, but like whoever. And you don't like the person who has to speak for you. Like, they've been appointed to you. I guess you could represent yourself. But or he probably would have done a better job. So. At one point he wanted to. But I do believe if you represent yourself, you lose your appeals. I don't, I don't know that. For, it's, it's, I know that there's repercussions if you do uh, decide to defend yourself. Can't remember what they all are. Yeah, I'm like, not a lawyer. I just watched a trial. Someone defending himself, and he did an awful job. Um, but I, it just to me is like you have to let this man say he was represented poorly at least once. Yeah, like I understand that you don't want some dude to just keep saying my lawyers suck. And then you just keep going to trial over and over and over again. Sure. At least once. I think that should be like written into the law that like you are allowed to at least once say, I don't like my lawyers. I don't care if it's abused every time. And at the last day of trial, you fire your lawyers and we have to deal with that in the court system even more. It's your life, right? Like you're fighting for your life. Like, I don't know if they can that necessarily like if they can always say it. but if there's an obvious misrepresentation such as this case where there's not even a single witness called right what are you doing then right what what did you do yeah it, oh, it's just there's so many people who are against isaac this. <laughs> yeah ivan ivan isaac <laughs> i've been saying and hearing his name now for like 40 minutes but so obviously we know that he was found guilty and sentenced to murder or to death. See, now you have me saying wrong words. There you go. So what's been happening since then? First and craziest, like we talked about, the Rolex watch was found. Um, then in 2007, Ivan actually married a woman named Tammy, um, who has been fighting for him ever since then. Ivan has run through multiple court-appointed lawyers getting his one Gina who's been with him since 2008 the defense has been fighting to get all of the evidence from the state's case for over 20 years now and still the state hasn't given up everything so his newest lawyer still doesn't even have all the evidence I thought they have to give it up they it's do. like discovery like they do yeah so the problem in this case is is that there was like a jurisdiction issue where he was originally arrested in Dallas, but then went to Collin County. So then they had to, like, there was it just between departments, I guess they can't get it back. Why I, there's always, why is there always issues between departments? Uh, but mm -hmm. it's been 20 years. You think they could have figured it out? 
um, the Innocence Project declined to take his case because it lacked DNA evidence, which is what they are vague mm-hmm. for, and um, that it had just so many pieces to it that they didn't think they could help him. Tammy stated that the project uh, looked into it, however. After losing multiple appeals, Ivan's first execution date was set for August 30th, 2011. However, he re- received a stay of execution. Matt continued his investigation during this time, um, and that's when he started laying out the seasons on this podcast. He interviewed so many people, um, and I would like to highlight that there was some pretty good experts that came in, such as uh, an expert of ballistics, uh, specifically shell casings. So during the interview, the expert reports that there is a shell casing that came from the home of James and Amy's that is ruptured in the back, and this is most likely from it the casing being used in the incorrect firearm, specifically mentioned that it was a 380 that was likely fired from a nine millimeter. Sounds like a mistake a woman would make. (laughs) There were many other issues with the bullets themselves. I stated earlier that the bullet in Ivan's apartment was used to compare with the crime scene um, and that they were confirmed to be a match. However, This expert describes how unlikely it is that that would have been possible because the removal process from the wall can make it uh, almost impossible to confirm the intricacies like striations Mm -hmm. on other bullets. She did say to also get an independent firearms examiner for further review, so Matt decided to do that. Um, And they came to the same conclusions as the first expert, lending to the credibility that two guns were used Another independent fingerprint expert also took a look at the fingerprints from the magazine. He did say that while similar, they were unequivocally not a match, which is huge. Because you just took the whole case away in one thing. That was the smoking gun, ultimately. Yeah. It's that there was his fingerprint on the gun. And so the um, state's case, they had, you know, their uh, expert look at it. And it was like a one-page piece of paper that was like, yep, totally, definitely. And then, so this guy comes in and does it. And he has like, I want to say it was like at least over 30 pages proving like why it didn't match, where it didn't match, how it was similar, but how there were differences. And he was like, there's no way that that could be. It's not right. Right. And again, that's like another broken part of the justice. You can tell someone, hey, we have our suspect. We know he did it. Could you make his this fingerprint match? Make it look similar enough. Yeah. To and you go, sure, I, I could do that. Yeah. I could do that. It's a maze of little twists and turns that I can yeah. find the same little markings and say, see, you guys, it looks exactly the same. If it was someone who's a layman, you're going to believe him. The expert did also say that the fingerprint from the magazine was good enough that if they had a different suspect, they could definitely look at it and I did it um the genes were also tested for DNA and according to another independent expert they were likely never worn she stated that if the genes were worn and washed it would still have some um DNA kind of in it she said there was absolutely no DNA in like the waistband area which is where it was yeah wow yes in 2011 Ivan received his uh Oh, I said that. I wrote it twice. So 
well. So after the first um, execution date that was given, um, the family and the attorneys fought against it, filing multiple appeals, including ones to the Supreme Court. For their efforts, they did get that first day. Um, and then after, or for another 12 years, they continued to fight. But Texas has continued to deny his appeals, even with this new evidence, evidence that proves Amy perjured herself on the stand. For example, she says that in two different ways that the Rolex was thrown out, but they have proved that the Rolex is in the possession of family. Right. Um, Fingerprints not a match. That, um, like, instantly makes her an unreliable witness. Like, mm -hmm. all of her testimony is garbage. Yeah. And since that time, Amy B., she actually died in 2021, so now we can't even mm. get her back to the stand if there was to be a new trial. Um, to correct herself. Have she died, you know? I do not. did not look it up. She's young. Yeah. So they've been trying to, you know, kind of compile all this information together um, and say, hey, you know, bring it to the judge and be like, this should be enough exculpatory evidence um, to at least get a new trial. But every time they kind of keep getting shut down. And then... Uh, you know, after everything shut down, um, there was another execution date set for April 26, 2023. However, a Texas judge withdrew that execution, stating that there was a need to review new claims made by the inmate. Uh, Gina Bunn stated that, quote, because Mr. Cantu's case raises troubling questions that undermine the integrity of the conviction, the court's decision to withdraw the execution date to permit further review was an appropriate step, quote. Reports further state that at least two jurors have that originally convicted uh, Ivan now state that they have doubts about the case. Unfortunately, uh, and most recently, he has a third date that was set. His newest execution date is February 28th of 2024. And since the second one was stayed, another court came through and denied all petitions for a new trial. Oh my god, that's like in that's next month. Yeah, it's that's why we're talking about this case. It's literally less than a month. So oh again, god. I would have anybody listening to this go listen to Cousins by Blood because it goes through way more detail. There's a lot more evidence that I didn't get into, including Anthony and Carlos and how they could or could not be involved. Um, some more information about Frank is out there. I was going to say, there's so many people that could have, like... There's so many potential Frank suspects. Frank was opening the doorknobs with his sleeves, like... <laughs> like, yeah. And there, I mean, there is also more information that lends credibility that Ivan could have been guilty. But look at all this information that was taken away from the trial that shouldn't have been included or should have been refuted. I mean, at the same time, the only thing that made me think he was guilty was Amy's story. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else that but she perjured herself. Right. And she, like, she's not, nothing she said was true. Yeah. I also find it kind of odd that, so, you know, most courts, they'll try and find what they call reliable witnesses. And most reliable witnesses are not drug users. Right. Uh, and she is a known drug user. Almost everybody on the stand admitted 
that there's tons of drug use going on. Right. And they still found her to be the most credible witness. Yeah. I would have been like, I guess you can't force her. I would have wanted a drug test from all of them. I want to know was she on mushrooms or was she on cocaine and ecstasy because that would be the end of the story right there like because he had one story and she had hers and well i'm sure i think they ended up doing them all so and then her ring yeah so there's more information about the ring um i know that they tried to find reyna see if they right kind of suss all that out but yeah and then at least won it or the fact that amy says that or the fact that amy says that he took it back but when he was arrested where the fuck was that ring right it wasn't in his possession nobody says that they ever saw it where would he have tied when when did he hide that yeah where's the ring and again why would you why would like as he said why would i hide a rolex or dump a rolex why would you dump a ring like a ten, yeah, a ten thousand dollar ring if it was real, right? And he would know that. Yeah, it's just too. It's there's too many things that just are so blatantly obvious. Yeah, it's not this guy who did this, and he's gonna be killed in a month. And so again, I am for the death penalty, but I believe there cannot be any doubt. And I this case up because there is so much doubt in this case. I cannot believe that it's moving forward without fair trial. Yeah. never received a fair trial yeah there's so many there's so many reasons why it wasn't fair it was not fair from day one when he got appointed these lawyers who were just crap probably had 10 other cases that they were working on and i don't i don't even actually really know how that all all goes down with the public defenders if they have multiple clients pretty sure they do yeah but and 9 11 happened on the day that yeah how unlucky how unlucky that in itself i feel like you could almost file an appeal on yeah because who was focused that day no one was focused no one's going to be able to answer the correct way and the way their brain actually normally thinks on any given day mm-hmm. yeah. i don't think well i was ever on a jury it would have really it would take a lot way to convict someone like i am hard line on the the theory or the i guess it's just the legal aspect like innocent until proven guilty Mm -hmm. you have to prove yeah beyond a reasonable doubt yeah you can't just maybe convince me that like oh maybe yeah i guess that all makes sense like it all adds up no you have to i need proof like was he there is there video of it like to mm-hmm. me, it just seems like we're so laissez-faire about like, oh, well, that girl said he did it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And in this case, if they would have taken away all the evidence that um, all these independent experts have later found out, you know, couldn't have happened, wasn't true, wasn't connected to Ivan, what are we left with? Circumstantial circumstantial evidence based on one person's testimony. Right. Who's, when has that ever gone to an actual trial? Circumstantial evidence like that. That's just bonkers. Yeah, it is. It's that's and, that's a lover's quarrel right there. Is he said, she said, and we're believing she. Right, and I, I mean, uh, she's dead now, so it's not like we can really. Wait, is it? 
she is it Amy that said, yeah. Um, but to me, it just seems like she's she was wrapped up in it some some reason because there's no reason why you would like you know create this alibi where he's pointing a gun at you know, like yeah they knew there was money there whatever it is like she was a sketchy girl she was sketchy she was when there's there's so much more where they get into James and his the drug dealing and the drug aspect I didn't even get into that because I was just wanted to highlight Ivan's case specifically um right rather than go into how many people would potentially want James dead yeah like for a number of reasons for so many reasons Mm -hmm. like he owes him money or the drugs were bad or like there's just so like I mean I yeah from my extensive history of watching Narcos (laughs) like (laughs) There's so many people who would there have been so many things going on. Yeah. Like, All right. Well, that wraps up the case of Ivan Cantu. Is there anything we can like write letters anywhere? Do you know? I don't. Like, there's no place for letters. There was, um, if you go into, again, I'll reference Cousins by Blood on his podcast, he has information where you can sign a petition to get the state to release information. I don't see anything for you know the stay of execution or something right that just has to come from you know texas judge yeah to think this one through yeah yeah all right so to all those listening remember to be careful out there it's a dangerous world we live in and i will also say at the end of this um since we're new podcasters if you guys are listening please like follow and review um it definitely gets us more attention out there thank you guys